Welcome to Strangeland, everybody. It is I, Dr. Dark, back from a lengthy ass hiatus. So first and foremost, I want to apologize. It's been a hot minute. And sometimes, without going into details, sometimes you just got to take care of yourself, take care of your family and those around you. And unfortunately, for those of you who listen to the show, Welcome to Strangeland took a backseat. But I'm back, baby. So what we're going to dive into this week is being that it's my favorite month of the year, it's my favorite time of the year, fall, can get the hoodies back out, sit outside without sweating your balls off, and it's got my favorite holiday, Halloween. I wanted to talk about what went on with the Salem Witch Trials. Now, some of you, I hope you're not just automatically assuming, well, this has nothing to do with conspiracy theories. Well, yes and no. And that's part of the other thing that I want to touch on is going forward, this show is still going to revolve around conspiracy theories, but I'm going to inject a little more diverse type of topics into the equation. When I say diverse, I'm not going to go off the rails into avenues that none of you that come here for the the weird, the conspiracy theories. There's not going to be any stuff that strays too far from that. I'm just going to talk about more of the shit that really interests me. And if it ties into the conspiracy theory world, great. If it doesn't, I think you'll enjoy that too. So without further ado, let's get into this, the Salem Witch Trials. Everybody's heard of the Salem Witch Trials, I would assume. If you haven't, here's a little bit of a backstory on it. So back in the late 1600s in Salem, Massachusetts, which I guess is referred to as Danvers, Massachusetts. Somebody, if you're from that area, please correct me if I'm wrong. But this was a Puritan settlement. And before we get too far into the muck, you need to know that The colony that Salem was within, the Massachusetts Bay Colony, they structured their legal system on British law. With this fact comes this. It was considered illegal under British law to be, quote, consorting with the devil, i.e. partaking in witchcraft, black magic, etc. It was flat out illegal. And this all began due to separatist Puritans fleeing from England initially to the Netherlands due to unhappiness, amongst other things, with what they considered was insufficient reforms of the English church and persecution. They're trying to escape getting shit on all the time. But they were in a bit of a pickle there because they feared that their children would ultimately lose their English identities up in the Netherlands, yet they didn't want to return to England. So they set off for the New World in 1620, and they established Plymouth Plantation, and they created multiple other colonies, including Massachusetts Bay Colony, like we already mentioned. And these people, these people were deeply, deeply religious, socially tight-knit, 
and supposedly they were politically innovative. I tend to disagree with the research that I've done, but again, it was the 1600s, so I guess if you want to say they were innovative, have at it. And I guess why they say that is because a lot of what they established is still present in today's day and age, for good or for bad. I'm not to judge that, even though I will. And what they ultimately set out to do was create a, quote, redeemer nation. There's quite a bit of irony there. Because the last thing that they were, were redeemers. Sure, they were persecuted over in England, a lot of atrocities and whatnot. But given what you're going to learn here, redeemer? I don't know about that. Now, reports vary some, but most estimates are upwards of 200 men and women, mostly women, having been accused of practicing witchcraft, black magic, etc. during the lead-up and, frankly, during the Salem Witch Trials. Now, by the time these trials in Salem were over, 20 people, likely more in my opinion, but the records say 20, were executed by hangings. Now, some of these people, primarily the ones who never made it to their trial, they died in jail, probably of dysentery. I don't know. And the whole idea or thought process behind the accusations of witchcraft, wizardry, sorcery, had already been established in Europe from the 15th to the 17th centuries. Now, we'll come back to the egregious nature of what went down in the European colonies and how they set the stage for what went down in Salem here in a few. But again, back to Salem. To understand all of this and to understand what the hell brought these people to these conclusions that their fellow neighbors were witches, you don't really need to suspend all that much belief and what you already know and are accustomed to. Meaning, look at our current state of affairs. If you're a bleeding heart liberal, and Gary down the street has a Trump 2024, a Let's Go Brandon, and a DeSantis 2024, for backup, obviously. If Gary has those flags flying out front, you're kind of preordained to have some misgivings about old Gary, even though the two of you may not even know each other that well. But again, you don't have to, dis- you don't have to question why they were so judgmental against their fellow townspeople, because we still can do it to this day. Salem, they were led the people of Salem, they were led by magistrates John Hawthorne and Jonathan Corwin. Additionally, the Reverend Samuel Paris, he ends up being a great guy. And with respect to this situation specifically, a regular old townsman named Thomas Putnam, they led the charge in what went down as one of the most infamous series of events in this nation's history. So the case began when two young girls, Elizabeth Paris, she went by Betty, and Abigail Williams, they fell ill and they remained sick for about a month, maybe longer. 
Now, to be fair, the people of this area, they had ingrained in them the idea of providence. Now, for those unfamiliar with providence, it's essentially basing what goes down in your everyday life as being firmly in line with God's will. This includes dealing with diseases like smallpox, which would ravage entire communities, etc. So the fact that these two girls were sick for that long was probably scary to them, understandably. But as this progresses, in comes the town's doctor, because the parents of these two girls finally decided after a month or more, yeah, we should probably get them checked out by the uh, town doctor. Now, his name was Dr. William Griggs. And being the down-to-earth, rational-thinking individual he was, there was but one conclusion to come to regarding what ailed these girls. They were under the spell of the devil. Mic drop. That's it. No need to further evaluate them. They were under the spell of Satan. They were bewitched. And now the only matter to solve is who bewitched them. Like a, like a settler's version of Clue. But instead of Tim Curry running around the mansion, you had old men with long curly white hair running around a village looking for a cauldron in a pigsty. Perfectly logical. Now, Betty Paris was the Reverend Samuel Paris' daughter. And Abigail Williams was his niece. So naturally, this gained even more attention because of nepotism. We'll roll with that. They were nepotist babies. They were the catalyst for the fear and loathing that gained traction in the bandwagon jumping that ensued. As many more, quote, afflicted individuals began to come forward. Now, let's be clear also. The afflicted in this series of events, just think of them as the accusers. So you had the afflicted slash accusers and the accused and then the assholes leading the charge. And who was next to step forward with accusations that she was bewitched? Why, none other than Anne Putnam, the daughter of Thomas Putnam, who I mentioned earlier. What a quinky dink. Additionally, others who came forward were ladies by the names of Mary Wolcott, Mary Warren. Mary Warren, oddly enough, they flipped on her ass. She came forward as, an, as one of the afflicted, and then they turned her into one of the accused. Good times. Mercy Lewis and Elizabeth Hubbard, just to name a few. Now, the first person throughout all of this, there was a central figure, like the first person who was accused, not the first who was executed, but the first person who was accused of witchcraft was a Caribbean immigrant slave named Tatuba, who just so happened to be the housemaid of the Paris family. In addition, there were two other women named right around the same time as Tatuba. Uh, one of them, and neither one of them were, you know, well-off, well-to-do women. 
Sarah Good was one of them. She was a homeless beggar. And then another poor elderly woman named Sarah Osborne. She was the other. So those were the main three. Good and Osborne, they vehemently denied the accusations levied against them, though Tatuba obliged. She confessed. She confessed that she and the other two were indeed witches and had bewitched the girls. Now, why would she do that? I was racking my brain trying to figure out why the hell would she do that? Why would she do that? Why would she throw herself at the feet of her prosecutors and be like, yep, I did it. And so did, so did these two. I'm sure Good and Osborne were like, bitch, the fuck? The fuck you doing? Go back to the Caribbean. I don't even know if that was a good, uh, I don't even know if that was a good accent, but we're going to roll with it. So as I'm reading into this and trying to figure out why would she do that, come across that many historians believe that she may have thought that she could act as an informant of sorts and get a lighter sentence. Unfortunately, this was not the case. In all fairness, I think she had the right idea. Looking back on it, reflecting after reading that, that she thought she could, you know, she thought that she could flip on the other two. It's because they were fucked. They were fucked. And I think they knew it. I think there was no way they were getting out of it. No matter how innocent they possibly were likely were. So she thought, well, this could be my only salvation. And it backfired. Didn't work. I mean, they were not going to change the mind of the townspeople who at that point had now rallied behind the popular girls' accusations. They weren't going to change their minds. That mob mentality took over. Now moving forward through this, And it was a relatively short period of time. Remember, 1692 to 1693, more women started getting accused, including Martha Corey, Rebecca Nurse, and Sarah Good's four-year-old daughter. But this was truly still just the beginning. They accused a four-year-old, for fuck's sake. (sighs) Just before the trials began, a new governor of Massachusetts was appointed. His name was William Phipps, and he ordered a special court of Oyer and Terminer. I had to look this up. Oyer means to hear, and Terminer means to determine. So it was a special court of hearing and determining. Sounds pretty plain and normal at face value. But no, 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 not at all. This was a problem because in essence, the law already deemed these women guilty until proven innocent. They were allowed no defense lawyers, no cross-examination, and the court allowed for spectral evidence. Spectral evidence is batshit insane. No wonder we are a dumb fucking country overall a country full of idiots based on our based on our ancestry 
Thanks, boomers. Spectral evidence. They stood no chance. So what is it? Let me tell you. Totally rational line of thinking that was deployed here. Spectral evidence was the assertion from the afflicted that they were visited and bewitched not by the individuals themselves that they accused. No. They, they had no contact with the actual physical beings. They were visited and bewitched by the disembodied spirits of the accused. So, they acknowledge that, again, these people were never present. Just their spectral bodies. How fun! So, Phipps, Governor Phipps, he sees what's going on. He decides to pump the brakes a little bit. Because by this point, the first execution had happened of a woman named Bridget Bishop. Eight days after her conviction. Eight. She got a week after she was convicted, and they hung her ass. So Phipps, he enlists the help of two ministers. Increase Mather, that is his name. His name is Increase Mather and his son Cotton Mather. And so Phipps, he asks for their opinions on the use of spectral evidence. And finally, finally, we have two individuals who squinted an eye or two towards the whole idea, stating that, well, you know, it doesn't really seem up to par. Because, you know, the devil can present himself in an innocent person. So should you really be executing innocent people just because they're possessed by the devil? That was their line of thinking. God, at least it was some progress. But unfortunately, this didn't matter. As the courts continued to allow for the admission of spectral evidence. Until September of 1692, when public support began to wane. At that point, seven women and one man were all hanged in a single day. So the public at this point, they're, get, they're getting a little fed up with this. Because they're beginning to see the writing on the wall that everybody was fair game. Unless you were one of the leaders or the powerful, the reverend, that piece of shit, Unless you were one of them, anybody could be named. Anybody. And many of the accused, they died while they were in jail. And one lucky feller, a guy by the name of Giles Corey, he was the husband of Martha Corey, who I mentioned earlier. He got the benefit of being pressed to death. Meaning, the cucks in charge put stones on him one by one, while he was lying down restrained, and little by little, each stone would be placed on his chest, on his torso, basically, until the weight of the stones crushed him to death. Praise be. Praise be. I mean, Jesus fucking Christ, people. Insanity at its finest. And lest we not forget about one of the more famous names to arise from these trials, a townsman by the name of John Proctor. 
I'm guessing most people, if you're familiar with Salem, you're familiar with the name John Proctor. Proctor was the first male citizen to be named or accused as being a witch, wizard, whatever. He was also one of the first males to be executed. Why, do you ask? Why was John Proctor executed? Why was he accused? Really for no reason. No reason other than he was outspoken against the proceedings. He disagreed with it all, and he was vocal about it. Therefore, kill him! Kill him now! And the fact that he supposedly, reportedly, was having an affair with Abigail Williams, who, depending on what literature you're reading, she may have been 11 years old at the time, or may have been 16, somewhere in between. I don't know. But reportedly, John Proctor was having an affair with a kid, and he was married. His wife, Elizabeth, she was pregnant at the time. She also became one of the accused, along with her sister, sister-in-law, though ultimately Elizabeth was not executed because she was pregnant. Famously, Proctor wrote a letter from jail to the clergy of Boston, imploring them to get in here, intervene, as they were basically known at the time to be pretty uneasy with what was going down in Salem. And he asked for the trials to be moved to Boston, but to no avail. Didn't work. Many of the accused during this time ultimately resigned themselves to their fate. Seeing what was happening, especially with this Rebecca nurse who I mentioned. Especially when she was executed. Because prior to her being accused, Rebecca nurse was a very well-respected, well-liked, very devout Christian. She was beloved. Didn't matter. Didn't matter. She became one of the accused. The powers that be, they coerced confessions out of these people. And they coerced these confessions out of these people through torture. The trials in Salem ultimately came to an end in May of 1693, after Governor Phipps finally came to his senses, realizing how unfair the trials had become. I don't know what took his ass so long. They're pretty unfair from the get-go. Just saying. But he put an end to them. Ended up pardoning the remaining people who were still alive in jail. It helps that his wife ended up being one of the accused as well. I think that might have lit a fire under his ass to do something about this. It was just crazy. It was a crazy, insane period of time. Not that we live in any better times right now. We do from the standpoint that we have a lot of modern medicine, modern technologies, etc. It was just bananas. It was straight bananas. And moving forward, in 1953, there was an American playwright named Arthur Miller. And Arthur Miller wrote a play called The Crucible. And The Crucible was a sensationalized story of the events of Salem. But he didn't write it just with the intention of bringing awareness to Salem or retelling that story. But he also wrote it as an allegory for McCarthyism. 
Because during that time, McCarthyism was in full effect. The U.S. government was persecuting people, accusing them of being communists. The play was very, very well liked, very well reviewed. It ended up becoming a feature film, a big film, actually. A film that won Academy Awards, starring Daniel Day-Lewis. He actually portrayed John Proctor and Winona Ryder. She portrayed Abigail Williams. It's a really good flick. I haven't seen it in many, many years. In fact, I don't even know if I've seen it all the way through, to be honest with you. But it's got Daniel Day-Lewis in it. It's got to be dope. It's going to be dope. So check it out if you haven't. But going back a bit, only briefly, I had mentioned at the beginning of the episode that we were going to come back to where a lot of this stemmed from. And a lot of this stemmed from what was going on over in Europe. The catalyst to the situation. And we'll just look at one of the instances that went down over in Europe. So in 1626 to 1632, so roughly 60 years prior to Salem, in Bamberg, Germany, a self-governing Catholic, quote, Prince Bishopric, Bishopric? I don't know how to pronounce this. Prince Bishopric of Bamberg. We're going to roll with that pronunciation. The self-governing Catholic Prince Bishopric of Bamberg in the Holy Roman Empire. We're off to a great start, aren't we? I mean, what could possibly go wrong here? Me butchering the pronunciation and, uh, you know, having a self-governing Catholic entity ruling over its people. So what went down? Approximately 1,000 people, 1,000 people were executed after being accused of witchcraft. 900, approximately, of which were burned alive at the stake. Or if you were one of the lucky ones, you were beheaded before you were burned. Whoever would think that you would root for getting your head chopped off. And this all took place during the Thirty Years' War between the Protestants and Catholics on the religious border of the two, all in the name of Catholic power. Now, the goal of the Prince Bishop, Johann Georges Fuchs von Dornheim, was to create a godly state and to make the population obedient, devout, and conformally Catholic. Again, off to a great start, aren't we? So in May of 1626, frost destroyed the harvest in the region of Bromberg. And this was reportedly rare in the sense that many people said that it had never happened before, which makes sense, I guess, given the time of year. So they had to have a scapegoat. Therefore, sorcerers and witches were blamed for putting a hex curse, whatever you want to call it, they were blamed for that, for putting that on the crops of the region and destroying them. In November of 1626, Catherine McLaren was the first woman accused, and she, quote, confessed, mm, up for debate, to using witchcraft to destroy the crops. Then what did they do? Well, they formed a commission. 
they formed a witch commission. And the witch commission, it was given carte blanche to do whatever the fuck they wanted, including torturing individuals until they confessed. And then you think you're out of the woods, that you've been tortured almost to your death. You finally confess for something that you likely didn't do. And you think, oh, at least the torture is over. Nope. They tortured you more after you confessed to get you to name others. And this, this whole period of time, they were far less discriminating than Salem in that they didn't give a shit who you were, man, woman, child, rich, poor, elite, didn't matter. They went after anyone. So you see, there's common themes between Salem and the European trials in that many of these people were outspoken and vehemently opposed to the trials. And these people themselves were then accused. I mean, it was without a doubt a no-win situation for anyone. It made people shut the hell up. I mean, that's how the installation of fear-mongering, fear tactics to control people and to gain power over them happens. That's how this goes down. So why? I guess the big question would be, why did this happen? Meaning what could have caused the afflicted to act bewitched? There's a few theories out there. One, they're faking it. Straight up. Straight up fabricating it. For what? Attention? Who knows? There's theory one. Theory two, they were mentally ill. I mean, one of them could have truly been afflicted with an illness that transcended just physical manifestations and had some sort of mental illness on top of it. I mean, nowadays we're very familiar with encephalopathy, etc. One of them then acts out and the hive mind paranoia develops. I don't really buy into this one too much. Actually, I don't really buy into that theory at all. But it's something to think about. Theory three. There's something far more nefarious going on. Meaning they were put up to it by the leaders of the community. Now this would fall in line somewhat with faking it. Because it's no secret that there was a land grab going on. There was a land grab going on by the powerful to eliminate those who they could take land from. Land equals power. Next theory, ergot. Ergot poisoning. Rye was a big crop for Salem. And there's a fungus called ergot, which can form on rye in unsuitable conditions. And it's suspected that they may have gotten a small infestation of this. And you ask, okay, well, so... They, they a fungus. Probably could have made them sick. True. But ergot has a little dirty secret. Ergot produces lysergic acid, which is LSD for those who are uh, not up to speed here. So there's a good chance, a good possibility that these girls may have been tripping their balls off, leading to their crazy behavior. It's possible. But no one will ever really know. 
it's like many things throughout history. I mean, when you go back that far, you're never really going to know unless you're a Christian and you think that the Bible, which is infinitely older than the Salem witch trials, is the one and only truth. The last theory, and the one that I believe more so in, is that it was done to instill fear into the people and make them subservient to the government slash church. I believe it started probably as an innocent little prank from Betty Paris and Abigail Williams. And it turned ugly. And then what do you got to do if you're them? Double down. And contrary to those who argue that even back then, that there was a chasm between government and the church, they go hand in hand. Don't get it twisted. They most certainly go hand in hand. Even to this day, much of this nation would prefer that we be God-fearing, obedient little Christians with family values, which don't stray too far from the nuclear family philosophy. Arguing against that and that they're totally separate is just a bad faith argument. Now to end this, another thing routinely comes up, and that is, well, how did the townspeople, the leaders, other than just complete fabrication and bullshit, what did they do to determine whether somebody was a witch? What did they do to prove that they were a witch? Well, the first thing, one of the first things they would do was called swimming the witch. If you've ever seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail, there's a scene in that movie that speaks of this. And for the longest time, I used to just think that it was a joke. It is a joke, but there is 90% truth to the joke, minus the duck. Swimming the witch, they hogtied whomever the accused was, hogtied them naked, put a rope like a noose over their neck, and threw the individual into a river or lake. If they floated, they were a witch. If they sank, they weren't a witch. And then it was up to the people to try to pull them out. And many people that sank, which all of them, many of them died of asphyxiation or drowning. Another way they did this to determine markings on the skin, if you had like a, a weird mole or something, they could say you were a witch. The touch test during the trials. If the victim went up and touched the accused, and if the victim then acted like violently or started acting all crazy after being touched by the accused, the accused was a witch. Witch cakes. What was that you said, Dr. Dark? Witch cakes. My favorite. Witch cakes were a concoction that included putting the victim's urine into like a batter, a batter that had rye meal, etc. in it, baking it, and then feeding it to one of the town's dogs. If the dog at any point after this started acting weird, started barking, the accused was a witch. And then finally, the prayer test. 
this would be the, if I was one of them back then, this probably would have been the easiest one or the one that I would be shooting for. Like, please give me, please, 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 please give me the prayer test. The prayer test basically was the accused had to recite prayers aloud for the community. And if they effed up even a little bit, guilty, you're a witch. But these people were so religious back then that, again, I wouldn't want to do it, but if I had my choice, give me that one. So what do you all think? What do you all think about the Salem witch trials? I hope you learned something. It's good to be back. It's good to be back on the mic. I had a good time. And again, I'm glad. I'm very happy and thankful to all of you who listen to the show, who support me, who continued to support me throughout my little hiatus. Thank you. It means a lot. Truly, truly, truly means a lot. So thank you all. And uh, until next time, stay strange.